All right, everyone. Welcome to the Toasty Kettle Podcast. My name is James. I'm your host, and I'm happy to be with you today for episode 20. Now, for today's show, we're going to travel to Brigham City, Utah, to interview Travis Porter. He is the owner of the Idle Isle Cafe. And this is a cafe that has been in business continuously operating since the early 1920s. So they are coming up on their 100-year anniversary of being in business. And that is absolutely spectacular. Not a lot of businesses out there can say that. So we'll go ahead and dive right in. Here's Travis. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about Idle Isle Cafe and how it got its start. So the Idle Isle Cafe was established in 1921. Uh, May of 1921 was as far as the exact month. And there were two main couples that were the, the founders of the Idle Isle Cafe. We had uh, Peter Knudsen and his wife, Verabelle, and then uh, David Call, affectionately known as Whitey, and his wife, Loretta. And they were actually, um, I guess you could say, related in-laws, so to speak. Um, I believe, um, oh, I'm trying to remember the actual connection as far as between uh, the the brother-in-law, sister-in-law kind of a thing. But, um, you know, back in 1921, uh they initially opened as Idle Isle Tap Room before May of 1921, and there was a another uh, restaurant that was adjoining called the Paris Grill, and they kind of morphed together, at least what the story has been relayed to me, and became uh, Idle Isle in 1921 with the you know soda fountain, um, you know handcrafted wood booths, and uh, just a very you know for that time period, uh, you know, very similar to uh, Bluebird and Logan, uh, Lamb's Grill, uh, you know, some others that had that very distinguished soda fountain as kind of the centerpiece and, um, you know, family-run business, and it uh, has remained basically unchanged since 1921. That's awesome. Do you still have the soda fountain today? Yes, we do. Um, the Soda Fountain certainly is is right there, very prominent as you walk in the door. There's an old uh, grandfather clock that um, has remained since the opening of the business as well, kind of a, a centerpiece. The handcrafted wood booths, uh, very, you know, you can tell. I mean, it's, uh, it's something that you don't see every day. Even a lot of the things that... Um, Sometimes they're overlooked. The, the the mirrors in the booth, the mirrors on the wall, are all original from 1921. Um, you know, we have a few other antique items on display. There's an old coffee maker that uh, a lot of people love to look at. Uh, from the 30s, we have some antique Coke machines that are you know right above the soda fountain. Um, so we we definitely try to preserve that that original look and the feel. Yeah, that's great. I'm sure that helps. Uh, you walk in, you kind of feel like you're taking a step back in time a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And you know, we love having people from all across the country that come in, and you know, they're looking for somewhere just kind of off the beaten path, somewhere that uh, kind of the diamond in the rough, so to speak. And 
you can just see automatically that the the memories just start start flowing. They start thinking of times you know when they were kids, or oh, I remember this place back in my hometown, this place that we visited, and it just opens up a lot of uh, opportunities for people to think back throughout their past, and that's really kind of I think the key to things here at the Idle Isle is that you know we we certainly we love the food. We want to make sure that the the service is something that that matches. But the experience certainly is uh, more about creating memories and also opening up those conduits for for people to reflect on their life as well. And that the atmosphere is is one of those main things to help contribute to that. Okay. Um, now I've grown up in Utah, and okay. I, so I know all about well, at least a little bit about Brigham City. Um, and I've, I've driven through a time or two and, um, tell me a little bit about Brigham city itself back in 1921 and how sure. it's changed over time. Cause I can't imagine it being a, a really, it, it's not a huge town today. I can't imagine it being, you know, a, a big destination place back in 1921. Correct. I mean, the biggest thing, you know, back in the twenties, um, your only your only access to northern Utah was straight through Brigham City, because the old highway, you know, it's it's now referred to as the famous uh, you know famous fruitway, where from Willard through Perry, you know, you have the old highway that took you through all of those old farms and the the orchards and different things, mm-hmm. and um, you know you came right through Brigham, and so Main Street today was was actually a lot more of of an attraction, if you will, because you had to come right straight through. If you're going anywhere north on the old highway, uh, you came through Brigham City. And so Main Street was actually a, a very, very booming place. Uh, at one point, uh, and I don't know if this was actually right in the 20s, but um, according to some accounts, there were at one point as many as 11 to 12 uh, diners or cafes, restaurants, so to speak, just along roughly a one-block stretch of, of oh, Main wow. Street. And, um, you know, it's, it's changed over the years. So we have some pictures of, you know, where the, the power was located more in the center of the street. Um, you know, it, so it has changed a little bit as far as the actual main street, but, um, you know, it was very much the business hub of, of Brigham city, uh, just right downtown. And, you know, that of course changed with the interstate system. Um, that took a lot of the traffic, uh, further away from Brigham City, and so that's when you started to see a lot of of changes between you know the the interstate as well as um, you know there's always an impact with um, recessions or with economic conditions, and mm-hmm. you know over some of those over the past several decades, uh, we've seen a lot of businesses that have not been able to to make it and and have left, and so right now there are. Yeah, there's not a lot as far as as restaurants and things remaining in Brigham City, but you know certainly in the 20s this was this was the place to be. Um, the train depot would drop people off; they'd come up into the center of town, um, and you know there wasn't a. You're correct, and it's not like this is a major destination, but at that time, because of the way that people traveled, it was. I mean, it was a stop for people along the train route. Uh, it was a stop. For, to get water, to get food, to you know whatever you needed, 
in your travels uh, to anywhere within a several hundred mile radius around us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd imagine. So I have a grandmother that lives in in Logan. If you're going to Logan, you're going to go right through uh, Brigham City. But I'd imagine right. that, yeah, when when the interstate came around, that you almost have to be intentional now if you're going to Brigham City. Yep. Yeah, yeah. that's correct. And it it uh, it certainly it, it makes it unique because we want to certainly appeal to the people that live in Brigham City, you know, our local regulars and, and people there. And sadly, there are people that have lived in Brigham City their whole life that don't really know a lot of the businesses that are in Main, on Main Street. Uh, people that will drive right by and they, they just aren't even aware that, you know, hey, there's a 98-year-old uh, restaurant just off to the side. And uh, so we've really wanted to make sure that we can tell our story better. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do have, and you hit it on the head, I mean, it is something that now, you know, people kind of have to go out of their way. And, you know, I know Brigham City has, they've done some good things. And I know um, that's something that we can talk about in just a minute. But um, there are some things that are being done to try to revitalize the Main Street area, uh, the downtown district. And so, um, and it's fun to have those people that do go out of their way. You know, we, we get people from all over, you know, from, from Maine and from, uh, you know, we've uh, people from the East Coast, from the Midwest. You know, we get people that are, are taking their time. They want to see unique places, and it's fun to have us as one of their stops. Yeah, it, and, you know, for anyone listening, it is a, beautiful area i mean if you if you take that detour and then continue on up the canyon there it's just it's a really beautiful drive i i always love making that i I think it is one of the um overlooked uh, destinations because certainly with the bird refuge um one of the the world's greatest largest game bird refuge uh you have willard bay close by and the drive through you know up to logan canyon um but even just right here in Brigham City, you know, it is, is something that is just kind of tucked off to the way now from off the interstate. Uh, you know, we're with all of the, the trees, you know, Main Street, it's been uh, voted as one of the, you know, kind of the tree district areas in the country. Uh, so it is a very beautiful place. And, you know, it has that small town feel still, even though with the growth, you know, it's it's trying to find a, an interesting balance between the growth of the community and maintaining that small town feel, um, but very beautiful place. I think that that's a good thing to point out for you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so now I want to talk a little bit about my favorite topic. I want to talk about the food (laughs) and, uh, you know, how, what, what the food was like when Idle Isle first opened and how it's changed or evolved over time. Gotcha. So, you know, the Idle Isle, um, was was very much just a, a a small diner, a cafe. Uh it was made from scratch, home style cooking. Uh it was you know some of the old menus that we have, um, you know, things like liver with bacon and onions, which is actually a special that we still have. Um, but you know it was all all made from scratch and you know especially with the local produce, the local uh farmers, ranchers, you know, everything was was locally um used and um you know the food itself you know desserts were were a highlight uh, of course they ran the candy shop which is separate now from from the cafe but um you know 
not so much sandwiches, but you know, you'd have steaks. You'd have uh, kind of a unique dish that was called oxtail. Um, we continued that for a while as as a kind of a braised beef joints. And fortunately, that's one of the specials that has discontinued um, over time. But you know, it was uh, just home style, just like mom used to make kind of cooking. And that's really what we have tried to preserve as well. All of what we make is that that comfort food that made from scratch. Um, and it really, again, it's one of those things that adds to the experience because, and just to give you a quick example, uh, I mentioned liver just a minute ago, uh, and it's one of those specials that a lot of people now can like, oh, are you serious? That's really weird to, to run that still. But um, we had a gentleman just a couple days ago that came in and uh, he said, you know, this is the second best liver I've ever had. And his mom kind of smiled and you know, he kind of pulled me off the side and said, be the first if she wasn't sitting with me. And that's something that I'm okay <laughs> with. If it's something that's second best to what mom used to make, um, uh, that's something that I can accept. But, you know, we we love to have the the food, the, the rolls, the... Um, the apricot jam that we make from scratch, you know, things that take people back to something like mom or grandma used to make. Oh, I love that. Yeah, definitely. Nothing beats a, a nice hot roll with homemade apricot jam. <laughs> I agree. You know, and it, uh, this time of year, especially, you know, we go through a lot. We have a lot of orders for our, our rolls for Thanksgiving, um, you know, our homemade pies. And, you know, it's, it certainly is one of those things that we we want to make sure that they are are good quality and but it's something that will take you back to uh you know again kind of to keep those memories going but that comfort food that that does exactly what it's supposed to do you know it it whether you're dealing with stress from work or loss of a loved one or whatever you know people go out to eat to oftentimes heal and so you know, the, the food uh, certainly adds to that experience. And, you know, we love the fact that we don't just open boxes and, and make things, you know, from packets or whatever else. You know, we make our gravy, we make our soup, we make all of the things that we, uh, a lot of our main things that people come here for, they are made from scratch. And we want to make sure we keep it that way. I really like that. I really like that thought of, um, you know, comfort food being like a literal comfort for people that, uh, you know, might need that little emotional boost. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it really, that's, you'd be surprised how, and uh, you know, probably not because most people, when they go out to eat, you know, there's a reason why maybe it's just, they need to get out. But, um, we have, you know, a lot of older clientele, uh, people that have, you know, lived in Brigham City their whole lives or, and so, you know, this is a special place for them. And uh, it's something that has been multi-generational as well, where they brought their kids or grandkids. And, you know, just to give you another quick example, um, I managed the restaurant for my, my in-laws for about nine years a while ago. And, um, you know, from 98 through 2007. And there was a, a sweet little lady that used to come in. She'd always order the exact same thing. She wanted her pot roast and mashed potatoes. And uh, she'd come in all all dressed up, just like... <clears throat> just 
just like I'm sure she used to years ago, you know, for going out with dinner with her family. And uh, she always wanted to sit in the exact same spot and um, would wait if someone else was sitting there. And she would always take her time and just enjoy her food. But you could see the um, the transformation from her when she came in and going to a little bit different place where, um, you know, she had lost her husband. She was the only one left in her family. And uh, it was it was special. And, you know, certainly the food was one of those things that... Um, that's why she ordered the same thing. Uh, it made that experience for her where she could think back uh, on her life. And sorry to get kind of off topic, but, um, you know, that is one of those things that we want the food to be good quality, but uh, to be something that no matter what people are going through, if they're just out on a date, if they're dealing with the loss of a loved one or loss of a pet or whatever it might be, that they can come and uh, put everything aside for just the time that they're here and enjoy you know, a wonderful experience, a comforting atmosphere and the food to match. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I think that's something that we we kind of overlook in today's world with uh, chains and it's all about speed. It's all about, you know, getting in and out. And I, I interviewed a restaurant in Florida, um, several weeks ago and they had been open since the early 1900s as well and been operating since then. And he, he just kept saying, you know, if, if the tables could talk and, oh yeah, you know, to, to see the people that have come through the years and the stories and the the history, because you know the restaurant has its own history, and we're and we're right. talking about that. But the people that come in and, and interact with the restaurant through the years, it the restaurant becomes part of their personal history. Oh, definitely. You know, I think that's uh, I I love that thought. That's a great point. Um, and there, I've. If those tables could talk, I only, you know, there's so many stories that I would love to hear. And, and it's always fun to have people come in that share some of those. And uh, it, it is something that, you know, and I'm not, I, I love, um, I think it's great for people to have options no matter where they go. But certainly this is something that's different than, you know, a chain, chain restaurant or, um, you know, just the, the cookie cutter type business you know we have one location and we're dependent on the people that walk through our doors and um but we we're we're determined to make sure that we preserve those you know the history and the legacy of the business but also the setting for people to to reflect on those memories to make new memories um and there are a lot of, of fun stories i know this is a question that um you had mentioned that we can that we can talk about but there are a lot of I love history. I actually, um, that's one of my favorite things to, to study. And so to learn some of the history of things here in the cafe, that is very fun. Yeah, well, let's go ahead and, and talk about that. I mean, so being open since the 1920s, you're going to have a lot of stories, a lot of legends, a lot of history that gets passed <laughs> down through the years. Oh, yeah. What are some of your favorites? What are some of the standouts to you? 
So, um, oh my goodness, that is a that is. I could talk your ear off for a long time on this one. Um, so last year we had there's a, a local historian that um, actually wrote a play, um, and it was highlighting the uh, the three at that particular time the three oldest restaurants in the state of Utah, which. Uh, according to the state historian, they consider us the longest continuously operating restaurant in the state of Utah, even though there were a couple that were established um, a little bit older by date, but with changes and different things to the business. Um, you know, we that's kind of a distinction that I I'm happy with for a long you know for a long time we were just kind of the third oldest, and then Lambs uh, closed down, and so there's the Bluebird and Logan, and then uh, us, but. Um, there are, you know, through World War II and uh, through the Depression, there was a lot of interesting stories uh, that took place in that time period. And, and one of those, you know, they had the um, the Bushnell Military Hospital that uh, was here in Brigham City. And um, one of the stories that uh, that I love is, you know, a lot of the, the people that came to Bushnell Hospital were, were amputees. Uh, people that had to have, uh, you know, leg removed or, um, you know, other limbs. And so there's one of the stories is that at that particular time, any soldier that um, walked through the door for the first time on their prosthetic limb was given a free steak dinner. And, um, you know, that's one that I've I've actually had many people share that story with me. So it's, it's something that... Um, you know, there's there's some facts to that one, mm-hmm. um, and with the the Bushnell Hospital, there were a lot of people that came on USO tours or different things. Charlie Chaplin um, has been noted to have come to the Idol Isle. Um, uh, oh goodness, um, why can't I think? Gone with the Wind. Um, I want to say Gregory Peck, but that's not him. Why can't I think of? I'll come back to that one, but uh, the one that we're having fun with right now is, um, you know, this past year was the uh, sesquicentennial of the Transcontinental Railroad, and mm-hmm. um, 50 years ago, uh, the 100th celebration, uh, John Wayne actually came and attended the uh, celebration of the Transcontinental Railroad, and actually came to the Idlewild Cafe and, uh, you know, ate here at the restaurant. We're working on getting some some pictures and some different things between the visit to Transcontinental, you know, out to Golden Spike, mm-hmm. and uh, you know some other fun things. And even with some of the history here in this area, um, you know, with, uh, the space program um, we have right now it's Northrop Grumman, but you know, ATK or Thiokol, whatever you want to call it, they were the ones that dealt a lot with the rocket boosters for uh, the space shuttle. Um, they were very instrumental in in the space program and the the contract that turned the property over from the, the people that owned it at that time um, was actually signed here in the restaurant. Um, oh wow! So and there's a lot of, of fun people that have visited, a lot of fun stories, and uh, you know even even nowadays you know we we have especially local people you know people like. Um, Alex Boyer, uh, Thurl Bailey. You know, we have several owners that have had pictures with Thurl Bailey, and one of the jazz players. Um, you know, we get a lot of uh, 
political figures that come in to eat. And, you know, so there are quite a few people that have, have walked through our doors. I'm sure there's some others that um, I'm missing, but... Uh, Yeah, at least there's a a few to mention right there. Yeah, that's incredible. I, you know, I wouldn't think I wouldn't think that you'd get all of those people coming through. Because um, I've interviewed I've interviewed other restaurants. You know, uh, mm-hmm. in in Minnesota, in uh, in like I mentioned, Florida, even out in Spain, <laughs> in Spain. And, you know, they talk about the people that have come through there. That makes sense. They're more of a destination place. But um, to think that you've had, like, John Wayne, right? Mm-hmm. It, that's incredible. You know, and Clark Gable. Sorry, I apologize that I could not. That's embarrassing on my part. But, um, you know, Clark Gable was another one that... Um, was said to have have come and visited the Idle Isle and, and dined here. Um, so you know, there's it is something that we don't get you know too many notable figures. But again, going back to that particular time period, you know, this was you didn't have a lot of places for people to stay. You didn't have a lot of places for for people to go. And so um, you know, they have to eat. They have to do things as well. And so when they came to town to whether it was to visit soldiers or to come for um, you know, the, whether it's filming movies or different things, you know, they, it's fun to have some of them that have come in and, uh, you know, I'm, we're actually, as we approach our hundredth anniversary, um, this is one of the things that I'm trying to reach out and, and get more stories and more information of people that have visited. And, uh, it's fun to learn about some of the others that, um, that I may not even be aware of. So I'm hoping that there's a few more of those that pop up. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So with Idle Isle Cafe, it was a family business, uh, multi-generational mm-hmm. from what I've understood from reading. And then your family is the second family that took it over. And now you're keeping it within the second family. Did I get, did I understand that right? That's correct. So, you know, as mentioned before, um, the Calls and the Knutsons, they're the ones that initially founded the Idle Isle. And everything remained in the family. Um, I guess it was probably the you know the 80s, mid 80s, somewhere in there. Um, you know, as, as the original founders started to age, you know, they had a lot of their family that took over, and so ultimately, um, Rich Van Dyke, who actually still owns the candy store, uh, kind of took over the operation with Idlewild. And, you know, it is, it's a challenge because at the time the candy was just doing phenomenal. It still is. And so trying to run all of the above was just really, you know, starting to be a bit of a challenge. And so uh, in 1994, um, they were looking at making some changes with the cafe. And my in-laws had a daughter that worked here. And um, she went home and told them, you know, hey, you know, this is kind of what's going on at work. And, and so she talked her parents into, um, to in a sense, purchasing the cafe. And so in 1994, the Idle um, it, it technically separated into two separate entities, Idle Candy and Idle Cafe. There was no interruption in service. Everything stayed open. Uh, this is you know still the original location, but it did. It separated into two separate ownership groups. And then 
uh, from 1994 until 2015, my my in-laws, Kim and Ann Jepson, uh, owned the cafe. And as I mentioned before, I actually managed for them. Uh, my wife and I got married in uh, in 98, and just a few months later, they actually threw me into the fire. And uh, my first day was Peach Days, which, you know, it's kind of a local celebration here um, that draws just thousands and thousands of people. And um, don't ask me why I, I, after dealing with that nutty of a day, um, why I stuck around. But um, it was something that, you know, I when you walk in, for me anyway, when I walked in, you know, you could tell that it was a, a special place and you could see the potential with the business. And so I managed from uh, November 1998 through um, May of, of 2007. And then I, I moved on to a different uh, career path. And then in 2015, my in-laws actually decided they wanted to retire. And uh, so they approached my wife um, which I have to joke about this a little bit. That was probably the right direction to go first, just to talk her into to things, and then she could convince me. Um, but you know, it was one of those things that when she brought me back in uh, for a date, um, and we got talking about you know the the idea of of assuming ownership. Um, a lot of the thoughts that I had had when I first came in, uh, when we were dating, um, you know, kind of came flooding back because there is a legacy and there's a history that we want to make sure that we preserve. And um, it's something that I think is hard for someone that's not familiar with the business or, or maybe they have a different vision or a different idea. Um, sometimes that's hard for people to maintain. And um, so ultimately that's what, what brought us back was to make sure that not only the the look and the feel of the restaurant could be preserved, um, but the you know the the food and the the full experience that we could preserve that for for future generations as well. And so, uh, we're my wife and I took over July of 2015. Okay. Now I've interviewed a lot of family businesses uh, over this past year, uh, restaurants and food companies and. They talk about how each generation had their mark, their stamp, their piece of the legacy that they've mm-hmm. they've kind of left behind. And I think that that's critical when it comes to business because if you're not willing to make changes, you're not willing to adapt, you're not going to you know make it to almost 100 years in yeah. business, right? So what has been your big mark that you've you've left on Idle Isle Cafe so far. And and obviously that story is is still being told, but right, to this right. point, what would you say has been your mark? You know, that is a great question. It's something that I have given a lot of thought to because, um, so for me, there's I, I consider three main points that... Um, that I hope I'm, I'm leaving a mark or my legacy, so to speak. But the first one is, you know, this is a business that our story needs to be told. You know, we've, we've kind of gone under the radar, you know, people know the idle but it's something that, um, we've remained relatively unknown. And, um, so one of my goals was to make sure that we 
are able to tell our story. And this is, you know, a great opportunity to do that. But, you know, the history of the business, the legacy of, of the founders and those that have preserved this for, you know, for 98 and a half years, you know, I want it to be something that, um, to, to kind of honor those that have, have gone before us, that we can grow the business and turn it into something that uh, people know what the what the idol is. They know where we are. They know our story. And you know, oftentimes when people come to this area, we may not be the first place that they think of to go eat. And we want to change that. We want this to be, um, you know, the, the first place that people think of when they come to Brigham City. And part of that as well, kind of the second point, you know, Brigham City downtown, um, the historic district, um, it's a spot in the community that has, has struggled for a very long period of time. And, you know, every year there are businesses that, that will open and then close their doors. And so Main Street is kind of a challenging spot to to do business, if you will. But um, we want to make sure that we are a cornerstone business on Main Street and that we can actually um, help promote the revitalization of, of Main Street. You know, they've they've added the, the Hampton Inn, they've added some things uh, with the Academy Center, uh, you know, they've created the um, historic downtown Brigham City Association. There's a, a push to really try to to make this little chunk of, of Brigham City um, you know, more of a, a noted historic district. And obviously we have a big role in that because uh, we are, besides the longest continuing operating restaurant in the state of Utah, and to my knowledge, the oldest running business in Brigham City as well. And, um, you know, so we want to make sure that we can help contribute to the community. Uh, so besides those two, um, you know, the, the third one for me is, is is more personal. You know, I want it to be something that um, we're able to touch lives. I, you know, I mentioned the uh, the story of the soldiers that came from from Bushnell. You know, I want to be able to um, impact you know people's lives for good as well. And we're looking at some things with um, with cancer patients that we can you know do some things to uh, help ease some of their their struggles. My mom, you know, is recovering from leukemia, and we have so many people that are struggling with cancer. And so we're trying to find some ways that we can give back to to our customers, to our guests. Um, but, you know, for me, you know, we want to have, with, especially with our 100th anniversary, you know, we're, we're looking at some ways to um, the facade of the building uh, to make sure that we can get it. Um, you know, we've been trying to get on the National Register of Historic Places. Um, you know, we want to have the the look that draws people's attention. And then when they walk through mm-hmm. the doors, you know, make sure that we're able to preserve that step back in time. There's been a lot of wear over 98 and a half years on the, on the business. And so, you know, there's some work to be done, some TLC to make sure that, um, you know, things continue to, to function. You know, a lot of our equipment is very old. Our kitchen, it was designed to service 10 booths. And then we end up having sometimes double that or triple that in one day. And so it, it puts a strain on, on our kitchen staff. It puts a strain on our business. There's a huge demand, and we want to be able to meet that demand. You know, we've started to do caterings. Um, 
And so as far as my mark, you know, right now, that's been one of the things that we've seen. You know, we're right now in our fifth straight year um, of record growth. And, uh, you know, we're, we're able to, to grow the business. And that's part of the process of it, you have to have some growth. Uh, as you pointed out, there has to be some change in order to preserve the business and for your story to be told as well. And so um, I, I want people to know who we are. I want people to know the history of, of the Idlewild Cafe. I, I may not be related to, you know, the Calls or the Knudsons, but, um, you know, their their story is just as much a part of mine as, you know, even my own story. And so I want people to know about it. And, you know, it's something that can contribute to the community. Uh, it is something that can be a little bit of a destination. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to mention one last thing or talk about one last thing before, uh, before we wrap it up and, um, you know, going into the holidays, Thanksgiving to Christmas to new year, um, pie is a big deal and pie, pie is a big deal to me personally. Anyone who knows me knows (laughs) that I absolutely love pie. And looking through your menu online, that was one thing that really stood out, particularly the Idleberry pie. Yes. I was wondering if you could spend just a minute and tell me about the Idleberry pie. Oh, my goodness. Um, Definitely. You know, this has been one that um, I get a lot of people want to to learn more, uh, want to talk about the Idleberry pie. So Idleberry is a mixture of blueberries and marionberries. There's just the two berries. It's not a triple berry or a razzleberry or anything like that. Um, but with just those two berries, um, it is just a perfect combination. You know, a little tart, and so it makes it. Um, for me, I love it with you know vanilla ice cream or even a little bit of whipped cream to add that kind of sweet tart. Um, it the Idleberry Pie is featured in uh, the book Road Food, uh, which brings a lot of people. Uh, through our doors, they'll be traveling and they want to go find more about it. Uh, it's been featured on uh, the uh, Food Network um, on their, I guess, as far as the Food Network magazine, you know, their website. And we actually have a couple others that um, you know are looking to, you know, hey, is this like the the pie for the state of Utah kind of thing to represent? Um, but it is just. It is. I mean, all of our pies are, are made from scratch, but the Idleberry is one that certainly sets us apart. Um, uh, and my wife actually right now is the one that makes the majority of the pies. And so I can tell you, I mean, there's a lot of, of time and, and effort and love that goes into each and every one of those pies. But um, just a, a wonderful, you know, kind of sweet, tangy combination. Um, the crust is just light and flaky. Um you know, and not too thick. I think that's the important part for us with our pies. You don't want a thick crust. Uh, it's just a nice amount of crust, you know, the perfect, perfect filling. So the Idleberry pie certainly is one of our signature items. Um, we use it with shakes. We use it for uh, cheesecake, but the pie itself is certainly the the item for sure. Yeah, it sounds incredible. And And to that point, I think that's something that Anyone who's ever made a pie knows there's a lot of effort and energy that goes into it, and to actually have you know your wife in the in the restaurant making the pies, I mean it just shows that you're 
you're doing it right. You're doing the real deal. And, yeah. and I think that goes a long way to why you guys are still around, you know, almost yeah. to that hundred year mark. Yeah. And it's, you know, my, my wife learned from her mother and, uh, she's teaching my daughters. They'll actually come in, uh, after school and you know, with Thanksgiving coming up, we actually have kind of a pie party. They'll make pies overnight. And, uh, we have, you know, a few that'll come in and help, but, it is something that um, it does. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort, and it's it's something that we we try to put you know our whole heart and uh, soul into what we do. And uh, the pies, I think, really kind of sums up that you know it's, it's just a we all like that little little sweet taste of things, right? You know, whether it's after dinner or sometimes before bed or whatever it might be. And, you know, for us here at the restaurant, you know, desserts are, are a big seller and we want it to be something that just is, you know, kind of the, the capstone that finishes everything off and that leaves you with a, a great wow experience and uh, just makes you craving more when you leave. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, and, you know, funny enough that you mentioned the, the Food Network article um, that's actually how I found out about you guys. I was researching awesome. an episode that I posted, uh, last week all about pie. And, uh, and while I was researching, I was looking at the different pies in different States and it got to Utah cause I'm, I live in Utah. I'm from Utah and I'm always curious what they think Utah is known for. <laughs> and I thought, I've never heard of Idleberry pie. And then I yeah. start looking up the restaurant and I go through Brigham City at least once a year. Why have I never heard of these guys? <laughs> so then I yeah. thought I I I have to get in touch. I gotta I gotta yeah. learn more about these these people. And I gotta get in there myself and try some of this pie. Well, we had a gentleman that came through um, two years ago, and uh, he lives back in. It's not right in Boston, but that's I guess my my closest point of reference somewhere in Massachusetts. And um, he emailed me uh, last summer. And he was actually wanting to try to find a way that we could um, make the pies and ship them back east. And um, I had to scratch my head on that one because I wasn't sure. I've never really kind of explored anything like that. And um, But kind of for the, the same thing, he came in and just fell in love with them. And he wanted to you know, find a way that he could get those in that part of the country. And, um, we're still, that one's on the back burner a little bit, but, um, you know, cause certainly I think there's a little bit of a loss, um, as far as the quality with, with something being frozen or so that's part of why we've held off on, on looking for too many other avenues other than just, you know, here in the restaurant. But, um, you know, with, with Thanksgiving, with Christmas, we do. We get a lot of requests for for pies and uh, for the the homemade rolls. They make all the rolls. You know, they pinch each roll by hand. We don't have a machine that makes those. Same with the pies. I and mean, everything is done uh, by hand, and it takes time. And uh, so, but it's fun. It's fun to see people that uh, that try something that uh, that love it and. Um, kind of spread the word a little bit more about, you know, some of those items. It's fun. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So if I'm trying to find out more about you guys, are you on social media, website? How can I find out more if I'm listening yes. to this so, right now? 
So we do have you know our our website idleisle.cafe.com. Uh, we are on Facebook, uh, just Idle Isle Cafe on Facebook, and then on Instagram at Idle Isle Cafe. Uh, those are kind of the three main ones that we use. Um, I guess with kind of the old-fashioned feel with the business, you know, I'm sure there's a lot more that I could do. Uh, we do have a social media coordinator. We're trying to get some of those things worked out where we can uh, do a little bit more as far as getting our, our name out there and our story. But um, you know, we're still very much word of mouth, but we do have, you know, those are probably the three main locations for people to to find out more about the Idle Cafe. Well, great. Well, I appreciate it. We'll link to all of that in the description. So for people listening, it'll be real easy for them to click over and, and read more about you guys. Awesome. That sounds great. Yeah. And I wanted to thank you so much for your time. Uh, thanks for the interview. This was a lot of really good information. I learned a lot and, uh, you know, about something that's right in my backyard. My pleasure. It's been fun for me as well. You know, I don't get to do things like this very often. And so, uh, this is fun for me. I appreciate the opportunity. All right. Special thanks to Travis for coming on the show today and sharing their story and the story of the Idle Isle Cafe. And uh, before I post another episode, I'm going to try to get up there in person. Uh, I'm based out of Utah, so I'm going to try to get up there in person and try some of that Idleberry pie that he was talking about near the end. It just sounds absolutely amazing and like something that I have to go try. Uh, and, you know, that's why I do this podcast. I want to point out these hidden gems that have been around for decades that are family-owned, that, that have some sort of unique history attached to them. Uh, you know, I would have never thought that John Wayne, Charlie Chaplin, uh, would be eating in a restaurant anywhere in Utah. But, uh, but to see that they were interacting with the unique history, the fabric of uh, this restaurant was really interesting, really entertaining. And to hear about how it's played a role in the community and the lives of people that have come through over the years and how they continue in today's world of fast food they continue to hand make their pies, hand make their rolls. They aren't opening a box and pouring out a mix. You know, it's the real deal. And you just don't find that. So if you have a business like that in your backyard that you know about, shoot me an email. It's uh, toastykettle at gmail.com. You can also go to the website, ToastyKettle.com, and there's actually a form on there on how to, to uh, nominate a restaurant for the show. And I'd love to hear about other businesses, other restaurants that are doing unique things in food. Maybe they, they were the first to do something. Um, you know, I did an episode on Chicago-style pizza, and so I was interviewing some of the, uh, the first companies that were doing Chicago style pizza and it doesn't have to be a restaurant. You know, I've done an interview about uh, Cracker Jack or Dr. Pepper. So anything that is unique to your area, your town, wherever you are in the world, let me know about it. Along those same lines, if you like what you heard, make sure you go wherever you listen to your podcast and give us a five-star review. It's really going to help people find the show 
and help grow the audience. And I'm always super appreciative of anyone that is sharing the show or, or telling others about it. That really does help. And it helps us to, to keep going and keep producing this content for you. So if you're ever in Utah and you want to get some great pie that's off the beaten path, have a nice home-cooked meal, uh, feel free to drop in to Idle Isle Cafe. It's about, if you're in Salt Lake, Salt Lake area, you're about 50 minutes north. Uh, The Idle Isle Cafe will be 50 minutes north of the Salt Lake area. And so if you're in town for any number of reasons or events, I mean, uh, there are a lot of people that drop in for to have a great adventure and a great experience. And it's a real beautiful part of the state. There's some beautiful drives, uh, great scenery, lots of trees, wildlife, reservoirs. You got to go to this little hidden part of Utah and enjoy it. So again, can't thank Travis enough for coming on the show and sharing their story and uh, thanks for listening until next week